Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Don't Miss This Podcast, a Come Follow Me study with Emily Bell Freeman and David Butler. We fill this show up with all the things we think you don't want to miss in the scriptures every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. I'm Dave Butler. I'm Emily Freeman. Welcome to Don't Miss This. It's our scripture study podcast. This year, we're going through the New Testament. We're in somewhere in the middle of Matthew and Mark and everything. We go week by week following the Come Follow Me curriculum. So glad you're here. We are going to do a whole conference recap, celebration, something next week. We're actually recording before conference. So I think this comes out the Monday after conference. So Hopefully everyone had a good conference weekend and uh, we'll talk more about it once we've seen it because we're not prophets, so (laughs) we don't know. (laughs) So, okay, we're going to jump in. Oh, answer the emails real quick. Yes, the masterclass, our new masterclass um, is up. Just go to domistestudy.com and uh, you can enroll in it there. It's just a class, um, six videos. It's like a digital book, a video book, and it comes also with a downloadable workbook. It's just um, helps you kind of learn through scripture what it means and how to embrace living a God-led life. So you can find it there to answer all those emails. And now let's jump in. We are calling this lesson today, Thou Art the Christ. This is a line that Peter says, and we're going to get into that story sometime in the middle of uh, this lesson somewhere. Remember when I was so excited to do it? Two oh, last ago. yeah, yeah. You're and like they were by the river. We really get to go. We're to coming the river, to the river, everyone. The this is so... <laughs> what happens at the river that I'm so excited about. Um, but we want to kind of talk about this a little bit. Um, this is actually our name for the week, which is going to look funny in the journal for one second because it says "Name of Christ, Christ." Um, <laughs> but we are talking about this as one of his names, which I thought was his last name all growing up. You so did. yeah, <laughs> and so. Um, the Greek of this and the scripture on the posters. Um, remember, each week we have a poster that is a name of Christ. So each week that comes from that particular lesson. And then there's this free one. So you're going to write Christ onto his robe here. But um, this name Christ in Greek means a couple of these things. It means anointed. It's the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah. So in Hebrew, Messiah in Greek, Christ or Christos. Um, it's a title of Jesus. It's also a name that means the king. It was uh, this, remember, in ancient times they anointed kings and prophets. And so the fact that it's like anointed, it's this royal kind of kingly title for him. But this word anointed is kind of interesting. It, it's, it's a word that means set apart for a holy cause or for a particular cause. Yeah, or a sacred purpose. I sometimes love when it's that, just set apart for a sacred purpose. Yeah, so it'd be interesting as you study this to think about that line, that Christ means anointed, which means set apart for a sacred purpose or a holy cause. And you might ask yourself, what is that sacred purpose? What is that holy cause? And also the fact that it means king, right? And that kings have a certain they thought anciently a certain sacred responsibility over people. And as we look at the stories today, I think it's neat to consider like, okay, what is his sacred cause? What is his holy purpose? And, and to look at this broad spectrum yeah. of stories, because it, 
it can change with each one. And I love too, when you think about that word anointed or anointing can sometimes mean healing for us. And I love that this name hints a little bit toward that. Yeah. And I want to re I want to correct something I just said, but okay. I would clarify, I should say, um, that I was saying you're going to watch and see how, what that sacred cause is in the different stories. I want to clarify that and say like the sacred cause and the holy purpose is the same always, but how he carries that out mm. or how he might approach it with different individual people and circumstances might be different, but the end cause and purpose never changes That's so good. for him. Yeah. I love that. So, so you'll be watching for that everywhere we go. Um, which is interesting our conversation that we had. So my son just got his mission call and I was saying to Emily, I would have handpicked that place for him. And then I said, I would have handpicked a different one for me. And then she wrote back and said, no, your mission is what you needed. And the circumstances there are going to bring about the same purpose that like, you know, Jack's circumstances and his mission are going to help bring about. And it's interesting to just kind of think about. Because you can totally see like in your mission why your soul like needed that. Yeah. It was hard. Right. It it wasn't necessarily comfortable for you. Like you're like, I wanted Africa. Right. And God was like, no, I'm sending you to Asia. And you're like, my soul doesn't do Asia really well. And, but it did. Yeah. Like it grew that in you. And I, I love recognizing that sometimes God is going to put us into situations that will be uncomfortable for us or like, grow us and we're going to see that over and over and over like seriously in the first three stories he's like here let me just like grow you and you know let me help you understand or increase your faith and we're going to watch that happen and it's not always like a positive experience Um, or one person in one story might say i wish i got that story yes you know well, and it, it helps you realize too, sometimes life is filled with discouragement and disappointment and failures. That's just true. Yeah. It is what happens in a story and that he can work with that right. actually. And does. Yeah. Right. Okay. This first story we're looking at, we're going to find in uh, Mark chapter eight. And this is interesting. Just right at the you know very beginning of this is a story a second time where Jesus is going to perform a miracle that we've seen before, which is there is a miracle where he takes, remember, the five loaves of fishes and two, I mean, <laughs> five <laughs> loaves of bread and two fishes. <laughs> Who says fishes ever? Either? <laughs> but yes, we all know it that feeds story. The 5, we remember it. Yes. And we actually didn't talk about it in detail here. And so it's fun to like, there's going to be a repeat And sometimes when we see a repeat in scripture, we like to think, okay, what was the lesson that was so important that maybe he's worried we forgot about it the first time we saw it. And we don't know if it's the same story, the different retold by two different people or two different occasions. I like thinking it's two separate. Yeah. And in Mark's account, Mark writes it as if it happens two different times, right? So now a different group of people of 4,000 and they have seven loaves of bread this time. And and he performs a really similar miracle where he's like, give me what you have. And then he makes it more, which is just the essence of that miracle, right? That he is a God of, you know, of multi, he's a multiplying God and, and you can give him whatever it is that you have. And when you place things into his hands, 
He makes them more. That's just what he does. And so he performs this miracle. And then you get down to verse 18. And they're getting into the um, to the boat. Uh, well, uh, back a little bit. Um, they get into their boat to head off. And in verse 14, they actually forgot to bring food with them. Actually, only one person did. And they only brought a single loaf of bread in verse 14. And so he says something to them in 15 about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Because they start arguing. Everyone gets in the boat. They take off. They're on their way going across. Jesus is in the boat with them. Everyone starts mumbling to each other. I'm sure he finally is like, what is happening up there? And and he's like, starts hearing what they're arguing about. And they're arguing in verse 14 because only one person had brought one loaf of bread and they're obviously starving. You know, they're like, now what are we going to do? What? Why'd you leave all that yeah. back there? And then when he says something about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, like he's talking about something totally different. And then they start in 16. They're like, I think he's getting mad at us for not bringing the bread. You know, yes. they're just like, I think he's like talking about the bread and he's just like, okay, 17. He's like, you guys, why are you so concerned on the lack? Why are you so concerned about the fact that you have no bread? And he says, have you not learned the lesson yet? And he says, don't you remember? And then he starts asking him questions in 19. When I had five loaves with 5,000, how many extra baskets did you pick up? They were like 12. And he's like, okay. Remember earlier today when we had 4,000 people and I had seven loaves of bread? How many extra baskets did you have? They said, seven. And then he's like, ends with just this question and this is it. How is it that you do not understand? And it's interesting because it seems as if he's teaching them. He's like, you're so focused on what's wrong and what you're lacking and what you're missing and everything. He's like, do you, don't you, do you not remember yeah. what just happened? And don't you want to say to them... You're focused on the loaf instead of the Lord. Yeah. Like it, you just, you know, Yeah. which is you, both are in the boat with you at that time. And you forgot what he's able to do. And I mean, we do this all the time. We look at the problem. We focus on the problem. We see what's wrong and we look at what is missing instead of looking to him, the God of abundance, right? And it's neat in that story that he, you know, he took a single, he took just single loaves of bread and he multiplied them until they had extra. They had like bread until the people were filled, it says, and then they still had extra. And he's just helping them go through just the arithmetic of heaven, right? Where he's just like, listen, you had not enough and then you had extra. And he's like, I need you to understand and remember this lesson. Don't focus on what's wrong. Don't focus on the loaf. Because if he can do amazing things with a single loaf of bread, imagine what he could do with with a life. And we might get caught up saying like, but I'm not good enough at this. And I think you, I don't think you've got it right. And I don't have this or I don't. And it's just like, we'll take the focus off of what it is that we have and put the focus on what he's able to do I think that's the lesson he's trying to teach them. And I love that it's a lesson that starts with a feeling of not enough. Yeah. Because I think we all know what that feels like. Right. And I love that he's like, just bring me what you have. Bring me the loaf and then watch what I can do Yeah. with it. Right. In fact, it's, it, it is interesting that lack usually leads to a miracle, mm. right? And so if we're so focused on the fact of what we lack, actually, let's just change our thinking a little bit. 
Because all Jesus is asking is, you bring me what you have. Yeah, but I don't have, I, 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 I didn't ask you to count that. Yeah. Just bring me what you have. That is what I'm asking Yeah, and for. I will touch it and I will make it more. Right. And, and that's grace, right? That is grace just working in a life, which I love. And I love that we, we have this lesson here where we're talking about how he can give such an abundance. And now we're going to move to this lesson, which is not talking about 12 baskets full of loaves overflowing or seven baskets overflowing, but we're actually going to talk about the crumbs. And this is one of my favorite stories. Is there a picture after this? Yeah, um, it's a picture of crumbs. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I couldn't remember. Um, so this is one of my favorite stories. I'm going to take you to Mark 7. Um, you'll see it in a couple places, but this is my favorite one. It starts in verse 25. A certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell at his feet. And Whenever I read stories in the scriptures, I love to put myself in to the story and see what do I learn by the actions? Because sometimes the actions are just as important as the words that take place. And I love that she, as soon as she hears, she is drawn to him hmm. and that she falls at his feet, which in my mind, I think that she must have been humble. Um, also, her desire must have been great because it it makes me think about just begging, you mm -hmm. know, like I, I, the weight of this is so heavy. I can't even carry it anymore. And she comes and she falls at his feet. And the woman was a Greek, it tells us, which means she's not part of the Jewish family. She would be an outsider, um, outcast, not within the inner circle. And she says to him, Will you come and cast the devil out of my daughter? And Jesus says to her, and this is going to be one of those times where if you read it, you could think that feels rude yeah. to me that he just said that. Um, but we know he's not. And so then anytime you see something that doesn't seem quite right, you're going to want to ask yourself, okay, why is he asking that? And he says to her, let the children first be filled, for it is not meat to take the children's bread and to give it to the dogs. And so what he's trying to teach her there is it's common in a family that you would you'd feed the children first. The actual flesh and blood is who you would feed first. And then the dogs eat whatever is left over um, in that story, which could feel like sad if you're sitting there and and you're surprised because the lady doesn't like leave offended she like sits there for a minute and because um, yeah, it's, it's he's not calling her a dog right he's not saying like status it's about timing he's just yeah. using a timing analogy well, and i also think this he's not calling her a dog he's questioning her heart hmm. he wants to know where do you think you fit because have you come is your heart here because you know who I am and you want to be part of the family? Mm -hmm. Or do you just want the leftovers of what everybody's talking about? Because I've fed thousands now and I've done these things. So I need to know wh why are you here? What is the intent of your heart? Did you come for leftovers or did you come for the feast? Because if you've come for the feast, then that makes you part of the family. 
<laughs> and I think that's so important to remember here. And I love her answer is so humble back to him. She says, yes, Lord, yet the dogs under the table eat of the children's crumbs. And I love that she says to him, I recognize my place. I recognize that you might know the intention of my heart. And I'm telling you this, I will take even the crumbs in this situation. Uh, that's what I come with. And I love that in that moment, he recognizes in her, her humility, uh, her, the weight she carries, but also where her heart is aligned that she's like, I will take whatever you will give me yeah. in this situation, which I think is such a, um, just such a humble way to approach the Lord with like, that expectation of whatever you think is best for me in my life right now, that's what I'm, what I'm coming for. And, um, I love, now I want to take you to Matthew 28 because I actually like it better here. 15, you mean? Or Matthew 15, 28, because I like it better. <laughs> I you wanted to go to the resurrection. <laughs> I was going to go to the resurrection. Uh, 15, 28, because I love it better here what happens. Because um, she says to him, yeah, but the dogs eat the crumbs which fall under the master's table. And then in verse 28, Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. And I love what we learn here is a lesson in faith, but also a lesson in miracles. And that's mm. what I love most about this story because I love that he, you can be, you can consider yourself an outsider. You can consider yourself as not part of the family. And he's teaching you that your faith will adopt you in mm. to that same privilege as everybody else has. And I love the thought of that, that the only thing that is required for relationship with Jesus is belief. That's mm. it. Just belief. Sincere belief makes a seat at the table mm. for you. He's just like, oh, here is a seat at the table for you. But I also love this. And this is something that I struggle with a lot in my life. That woman came expecting a miracle. She entered the house. She came to the table expecting a miracle. And there is a lesson in that for me that I need to learn because I'm really good at expecting miracles for everyone else. Really good. Um, if people call and ask me to pray for them, I will pray so hard and with so much faith for a miracle for that person. But in my own life, I don't for some reason. Like mm. I think God probably expects me to work this out on my own. Or I'll just keep, I could go three more dates. I'll keep figuring this out. Or I'm smart enough to make it work. Like I don't immediately invite God into the story always. And, and sometimes I'm nervous to like expect the miracle mm. to come. And I love that this woman teaches us such a like profound lesson in she went to him expecting a miracle. Um, but I also love too that her ask was so humble that she was like, I know whatever you give me in this situation will be right. I just want you to touch my situation. Yeah, That's what I want you to do. And if you give me a crumb, I will be satisfied with 
the crumb. And it's interesting because I, I never thought about this till now that he says the dogs eat the crumbs from the kids, but then you feed the dogs after. So it's like if, if you were the dog, we're not talking status, but yeah. we get that, if you yeah. were the dog, you would think, oh, I know my time is going to come for a miracle, mm. but sometimes at least they get the crumbs before that happens, you know? And it's yeah. almost as like, I'll be content with just those crumbs of a miracle now, knowing someday maybe yeah. my time will come, you know? And that's such, a, that's such an interesting attitude to take as you approach the Lord, right? Yes. Where you're just like, it might not be today because your timing matters, um, but at least there are crumbs yes. as we wait, right? Yes. And then it's just interesting that he, yeah, you know, just gives her the full miracle, miracle because then. her because her faith, because her belief is so, um, just invites that miracle to happen. And I read this story so many years ago, but I put up on my fridge um, this little sign that said "Expect Miracles," and I've just left it up there forever because I want to have more of the faith of this woman when I enter into things. And it made me love this recent conference, not the one that is still coming for us, but the one just passed um, in what even month are we in? April, the yeah, October, October conference, I think is when <laughs> President Nelson said uh, that we should expect miracles. And it was the first time someone had validated for me that thought. That you, if you have a relationship with the Lord, you can expect that miracles would happen in your life. And don't you love knowing that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I and I and I'm excited that her story is going to tie so nicely to the very last story. Yes. So like, yeah. just they, re- really they have does. the dad in that story and this woman have a really similar yeah. faith approach, which is which is awesome. But before that one, there is this great story that happens and um, happens in Matthew 16. This is the river that Emily was so excited to go to um, a couple weeks ago. I know. I just want to take you all there. Here, let me take you. <laughs> okay. Don't you want to go here right now? The podcast listeners, just imagine the most beautiful river you've ever seen with just like tiny little waterfalls and it is so beautiful and the sound is so like relaxing that you just kind of want to Sit right at the banks. Yeah, it really is a picnicky place. Yeah, families gather there all down the whole river. People and then just gather and eat. The podcast people can't see, but um, if you're watching the video, you can see that the rock is a little bit darker. And some Bible historians think that the water may have come over the top in Jesus' day, like mm. a waterfall. No one knows for sure. I, But at least there's this mini waterfall just in case. Yes. And this is a source of water for the Jordan River. It's like this is what they would have called living water. In Jesus's day, any, because remember it has a small rainy season and most of their water, they collect in big cisterns underground like pots. Um, but if water is moving it's and fresh. then cleaner and fresh, they call that living water. So that was a term that people used back then. So this is where they are. They're gathering around here, Jesus and his disciples. It's in Matthew 16. And there's this really powerful moment that happens where he's like, okay, well, we've been at this a little bit. What's the word on the street about me? What, whom do people say that I am in verse 13? And they say, they're answering, well, some think you're John the Baptist and some think you're Elias and some think you're Jeremiah because some of the things that you're teaching. And he just listens to each of their like, oh, okay, okay. And then he asks this question that um, every time I read it, I feel like he's asking it to me. And he says, but who do you say that I am? 
I know who your neighbor thinks I am. I know what the TV guy thinks I am. I know, you know, I know all the people, but who do, the important question is, who do you think I am? And Simon Peter in verse 16 answers. And in my mind, there's the Bible video that the church produced on this one. And I was like, okay, I think you got that right. <laughs> um, they're walking on water when they didn't get right. But this one, they got right for sure. Um, because he is impetuous and just jumps out with his answer. And he says, "You, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And... Um, and then you think about what all those words mean and how rich of like a, a statement that is considering where they are and everything that's, that's happening here. And it's just this, I love that declaration. And then Jesus commends him and he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, to you, but my father, which is in heaven. And I love that word blessed could mean lucky, you know, mm-hmm. congratulations, Simon. And, and how powerful that is for him to realize, he's like, oh, don't let the faith story become common. God in heaven, God of the universe, spoke this directly to you. Like, have you ever thought, Peter, how lucky you are that such a thing can even occur? Well, and don't you love too when he's like, blessed are you among men? Because he want, he's, wants to say to him, when you think about all those other guys who are standing there, but he was so instant in, I know you are the Christ. Like, I I just know, I feel it enough to declare it that I love that thought of like, it's it's like a good day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and then he makes this promise that a lot of us are probably really familiar with. And he says to him, you are Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it's cool that they're here at this gigantic rock, you know, where in Jesus's day, there was a temple to these other gods built on here. And so he just makes this line and there's so many play on words because there's this big rock and Peter's name means the rock. And, and you're kind of like all this, like, wait, (laughs) what is the rock that you are talking about? And I love Joseph Smith's commentary on on this verse when he just says that rock is actually the rock of revelation. Could be one interpretation Mm. of that. And on this rock, I will build my church. And it's neat because Peter just got a revelation right before that. They talked about it. And I love thinking that Jesus is teaching on this truth that I am the Christ, the son of the living God. That is what I will build my church on, is on that truth and a really really powerful moment and a promise i will give you the keys of the kingdom and and there's all of these like awesome things that are are, are going to happen and then in yeah the... well and it's like peter's best day yeah. like in that moment there is that moment where he's like everyone stops Praise and he's like and a promise yes, and it's like you're getting it you're getting it right you know so right next to that, <laughs> right after that moment that you're just like, frame a picture around that one. And and people build statues of Peter with keys because of that moment. You yes. know, they're just like, this is a moment. And then all of a sudden, verse 21 starts. Oh, I think back on this one, I accidentally said the next one was in chapter 17. That's a lie. It's 16, everybody, just so you know. It's right mm-hmm. after. Um, He starts talking about how he must go to Jerusalem in 21 and suffer many things to the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again on the third day. And Peter again replies really quickly, which is in his nature. 
I like where it says Peter took him. <laughs> Maybe aside or I something. Well, I, I feel like he just or grabs him, him or and something. he was like, what are you talking and about? And rebukes him, you know, and he says, be it far from you. It will not happen to you. And I, I love thinking that Peter has this idea of what it means that he's the Christ, the son of the living God. And he's like, you're wrong. That's not going to happen to you or whatever that conversation looked like. And then he turned and says to Peter in 23, get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me because you don't savor the things of God, but the things of men, you know, and you're kind of like, oh, and you know, like <laughs> we're out of context in this one. If I call someone Satan today, it means something a little bit different, right? An adversary is what it means yeah. in Jesus's day. He's not calling him Lucifer himself, but still, still, that's like not a line that you want from Jesus yes. ever, yes. right? Uh, to call you to, to call you Satan, <laughs> you're an offense. Yeah. You're ruining the plan. Yeah, you're, you're getting <laughs> in, in the way. Yes. You know, and it's interesting that those two happen right next door to each other. Yeah. That you're just like, that Peter's best day and worst day are actually possibly the same day. <laughs> and what a picture of discipleship and what yeah. a picture of what it looks like to be in relationship with the Lord. That it's just like, that that's okay. That you can have your, and one doesn't cancel out the other, mm. right? You, you can have your great, great moments, but you'll still have learning moments. And just because you have your learning moments where you're, you're off, it doesn't mean it cancels out your best moments, right? Well, and it doesn't mean um, that you're not going to have another one. Yeah. Because we actually get to see in Peter another exact flip right in a short span, right, period, like right. within a month, that he's going to deny Jesus three times on that night of his death. But then at the very end, right before the ascension, Jesus is going to ask him three times, do you love me? And you love that, that Christ understands the ups and downs of our life, right? That back and forth. We're just working to get it right. We're just working on it. And I love that neither of those bad days experience discounts Peter from being the one who will lead the church. Yeah. And sometimes I think we think, no, if he's, if he's leading the church, he cannot make mistakes. He can't have bad days. He can't. God wouldn't choose someone who has bad days or who would, you know, have the denial or would have this like, no, I don't, you cannot die. That's not going to happen. Well, that's like the most important part of the whole plan. Right. Don't you think God would have looked down and been like, listen, Peter can't lead the church. He's, he's going to ruin the whole plan. It's the essence of Christianity right. that you're trying to get rid of, Yeah, right? we pick someone new, yeah. right? Pick someone new. Like we learn a really important thing about God in the fact that he's okay with people making mistakes and working through the mistake. We're not as good at allowing people to make mistakes, but God is actually really good at allowing people even who will become the president of his church to make mistakes. Yeah. And I also love that uh, we learned something about Christ here that he's just like, I will step in and correct you if you have a wrong idea about progression, a wrong idea about the plan, a wrong idea about me. Like it would have done no good for him to like, and sometimes people have that misconception about him where they're just like, no, he's not a correcting God. He's not. And it's just like, no, he actually, it's what a king does. A king does that. He corrects affairs of of the kingdom. And it's just like, that's why we're so happy to know that he's the one who's actually leading leading the kingdom. Right. 
Um, we want to throw in this bonus story real quick in Matthew 17 because it's so darling and you can't miss it. Um, where they are together in, in Capernaum. And this is in chapter 17 at the end. That's what I meant when I wrote 17 there. That's why I wrote it. I was like, why was I drunken when I wrote that? Okay, they're in Capernaum and they're talking about paying tribute money. And there was an argument back then about because the tribute money had like a figure of, you know, Caesar on it. Like, was that, um, I, what's it, I false idols and, and stuff like that. So the question comes, um, and someone asks and, you know, do you, do you pay tribute money? And, um, oh no, this is the temple tribute money. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of another story. My bad. Where do you, Jesus pay tribute money to the temple? There is a temple money that you paid every year. And he turns to Simon, which I think is really cute. And he says, what do you think, Simon? Um, do kings take tribute money um, from their own children or do they take them from strangers? He's like, should the son of God pay tribute to his own house or, or no? And Peter's just like, well, usually they don't take it from their own kids. They take it from strangers. And Jesus says, um, yeah, and the children don't pay, do they? But then he says this, but lest we offend anybody, which is such a powerful principle. Yeah. It was like, did Jesus, was he required to pay tribute money to the temple? No, he could have found a loophole in that. But I love that he's like, just so that we don't offend anybody, we're just going to do this. And he says, will you go to the sea, throw a hook in, take up a fish that comes up first. And when you open up its mouth, you're going to find that money in there. And I want you to take and give it. And I love thinking about all the orchestration that would have been needed for this miracle to take place. Yes. You know, like what? kid dropped a coin out of their pocket one day and that fish swallowed it up and is swimming wherever it was (laughs) in the whole sea of galilee but happens to be the exact fish that bites the exact worm or whatever it is that peter throws in on that exact day and and it just is is there and i i love believing in a christ like that one who's orchestrating for something so forgettable. This is a forgettable yeah. story. And and for the purpose of, I just don't want to offend somebody. Yes. You know, just to not offend somebody, I'm going to orchestrate this like yeah. five-step miracle for that to happen. And I just think that is super cool and fun in the journal to think about. When have you had a moment like that where you've seen God place just things yeah. in, in, in their order. right spot so yeah. that something could happen? I love that so much. Um, Okay, we're going to get to two of my favorite stories that you may have never read before because I don't think anyone's ever taught these in Gospel Doctrine before. I can remember the first time I showed him to David, he was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) And we're going to go to Mark 7 um, because that is where you will find them. And what happens is, and I want you to be thinking about this, this is where we're going to go for the worksheet in this week's lesson. And we just want you to think through this that sometimes when Jesus shows up, it's unexpected and he does things in unexpected ways. And sometimes they're even like uncomfortable and unpredictable. And I've learned like in my life, sometimes I need him to do the uncomfortable or the unpredictable thing for me to like see what he's trying to teach me Mm. in that moment. And the fish is a great example right? That was totally unpredictable. I'm sure Peter, when he was there, was like, I don't think this is going to work, but I'll do it. But do you ever enter in like that to God where you're like, I just, 
My thought is this is not going to work, but I, I'll do it because other things have worked. So I'm not <laughs> going to put it, you know, beyond you. And this is kind of one of those things where we get to see how that looks. And I'm going to walk you through these stories as we go through. You're going to be able to fill out these two stories. And I just want you to put them side by side as we go, because I think there's something interesting that happens here. Uh, we'll start with the story first in Mark 7. And I'm going to be in verse 31. And he's going to come under the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis. And they bring to him one that was deaf and also had an impediment in his speech. And they besought him to put his hand upon him. Which, like, I'm sure that man was so happy for that, right? He brings him up. He sits him down there like, Jesus, we know this man. He can heal people. Come up here. All he's going to do is he's just going to put his hand on you. And then you're going to be able to hear and be able to talk. And he's like, oh, okay. I'm totally up for that. But then what happens is in verse 33, and I just want you to watch the steps of this. He took him aside from the multitude first and he put his fingers into his ears second and then he spit on his fingers and wiped it on the guy's tongue and then he looked up to heaven he sighed and then he told the man be open now i just want you to think about this for a minute <laughs> like i'm a mom so i've raised little people up um, that are the age of like five, six, seven, which is the age when you go to like McDonald's, they get ketchup all over their face. Has anyone else's mom ever done this to them before where they like lick their thumb and then they start like wiping your face off? And what is your instant reaction? You're like, gross, yeah. don't do that. Don't do that, right? It's just, it's like innate in us to be like, I don't want you to touch me with spit on your thumb and clean my face off. And what if I was like, here, let me put this on your tongue. It's like, this is what I think about. It's such an intimate moment. It's Her fingers so in his ears is so I know, bizarre, that right? It's like uncomfortable right. where you're like, I, who puts their fingers in your ear? <laughs> who? It, think of anyone who's ever done that before. I guess when you're like in fifth grade and you're that obnoxious boy and you give someone like a, a wet willy. Yes. Yeah. That's where it happens. And as I was reading this, I was like, wait, what are the lessons in this story that I remember how I tell you, I like to become the person. And when I read this story, I was like, I'm so uncomfortable with this situation. I don't know if I could have like allowed it, you know, mm. and it's so unpredictable. And I want you to think about three things. First of all, how does he remove the distraction from the man? And I think it's so interesting that it says to us, and he took him aside from the multitude, right? He's going to move him out of where the distraction is so they can have a personal experience together. And I love the thought of that personal experience. But then the second thing is he enters the story in uncomfortable and unpredictable ways, right? That man has to be okay being super vulnerable, and allowing an intimacy that most of us are not um, comfortable with. And I think sometimes that's true in our story with Jesus, where he's going to come into places that we maybe don't let people into. And particularly in these two stories, it's where his like 
um, problem is. Yes. It's his problem place. And, yes. you know, and, and generally, like we, we hide away our problems into the far corner and it's like, oh, let's talk about like my gifts and my strengths. Yes. And let's talk about, let, you know, yeah. let, let's have conversations about those. But it's like, you know, generally when somebody has some sort of like issue, they try and downplay it. Right. Like, I don't want you to see it. Yeah. I don't actually want you to know about it. Yeah. I try to like compensate yeah. for it. We're not going to be vulnerable in the area that is the, that most personal place. And right. Jesus is like, oh, I'm coming in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That I'm going to, I'm just going to come right in there. And then I love that the request from him, how he invites him to change is to be opened. And I think that's so interesting because I feel like a relationship with Jesus requires us to open up ourselves to the unexpected, the unpredictable, the uncomfortable sometimes. That's when we are able to grow the most. And when you were talking about this, you know, like moms will do that. And I was just like, who else would put fingers in ears or something? And I was like, oh, a healer would, a doctor would. But even there, even at a doctor, we have things that we're like, I'm actually really, I know you're a doctor and I know you're a professional, but I'm still uncomfortable for, you know, you to. What this healing is going to require. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm getting at. Where it's just kind of like, oh. Yeah, and it's interesting because we see it once right here, and it's a weird story to begin with, but it's going to happen again in the very next chapter in Mark 8. And whenever we see that, we talked about this earlier, that repetition, um, I always think that he's trying to say to us, I want to make sure you got this the first time. So here, let me show it to you again. So we're going to start in Mark 8, 22. And they came to Bethsaida and they brought him a blind man. And they asked him to touch him. Again, remember, like in his mind, he's probably like, I've seen him just do this thing where he just like touches you and then you're fine. And so the first thing we're going to look for is how does he remove the distraction? And I love in 23, and he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. That's the first thing that is going to happen. And it just makes me think when I see that twice, okay, where am I going that is allowing him to do the uncomfortable work in me? Mm. Where, where am I going to allow him the space to be able to do that? And then this one is so crazy <laughs> because um, the very next sentence says, when he had spit on his eyes, like he didn't even spit on his fingers first. He's like, hold on. And then he just spits right in his eyes, which let's just think about that. Has anyone ever watched a Western or any of those? I don't really love Westerns, but I know it happens in Westerns where they just spit right on the guy. And that is like the greatest (laughs) offense you can even give someone. Like someone usually gets killed right after that happens. A Western? Well, where else have you ever seen it? Name someone. Name any other movie where someone spits in someone else's face. I feel like it's like old Greek times or something like that. Okay, and westerns. And westerns. Yeah, and westerns. Everyone. Greg loves westerns. Okay, so you, I just you only this. see them when I'm walking by because I can't even sit on the couch and watch the whole thing all the way through. But people are going to tell you this is right. That's okay. what's going to happen. Everyone, you don't have to tell me. I believe you. And um, so he spits right in his eyes. And again, like your first response is to take offense. Don't you feel like it would be? Like you can't do that. And 
Then he puts his hands on him and he asks him if he sees anything. And he looks up and he says, well, I can kind of see something, but it looks like trees walking. And then he um, puts his hands again on his eyes and then he makes him look up and he was restored and saw every man clearly. And there's two things I love about this. First of all, I love that um, what was uncomfortable or unpredictable was he actually allowed him to spit in his eyes for that healing to take place. But I also love that we learn in this story that sometimes healing comes in stages. So often when Christ heals in the New Testament, it's just instantaneous. It feels immediate or straightway. And I love that in this story, we are reminded that healing sometimes for some people came in stages. And this is one of those places. And I think I like this so much because that's how it has been in my life. Rarely have I experienced an instantaneous miracle. Most often, my healing has come in stages mm. um, as, as I've gone through life, which requires patience. Like that man, again, could have gotten offended and been like, he didn't even do it right yeah. and left. But he was willing to like work it through and talk it through and know this is not quite right and allow that that healing process to continue. And then I love for him, it wasn't until he looked up that he could see clearly. And as we look at both of these lessons, it just makes me want to think in my life, like, where do I need this? Where do I need to be? What distraction do I need to move away from? And what are the uncomfortable or unpredictable ways I need to allow him to be working in me right now? Um, even if it might cause me to take offense or even if it's some place that feels too vulnerable to allow someone access to or the ability to to work in that space and how can i be more open or, or like look up to enable that experience to happen in my life and and we just left a little square down here at the bottom of that worksheet how would you have responded in these situations but then I would also like to add, what, where should you make this possible in your life right now? Like what unpredictable or uncomfortable invitation should you take yeah. right now and enter into, um, because it, it might stretch you. It might, might cause you to grow like Peter was, but it's also going to bring about miraculous things in your life. And how, how can we live more open to allowing Christ to do that great work in us. It's awesome. Okay, now our last segment. Oh, oh there was that fun picture. Oh, I that's forgot. right. I forgot about this because I do love just that uncomfortable. Yeah, um, that closeness where yes. you're just like. And don't you love that he's just grasping on? We have this picture of Jesus just wiping that mud on that man's eyes and he's just grasping his robe like he's not leaving. He's not going anywhere. He's not like leaning back yeah. out of, uh, he's like, I'm in. Like just do whatever you have to do, even if it feels uncomfortable or unpredictable. And I love the thought of like yeah, that he, kind of engagement. Yeah, especially in that one that takes time. Yeah. You know, if you're just like, oh, you want to push away from the uncomfortable healing that's yeah. taking place. And instead he's just like, just grasp onto him. Yeah. Right? Like, um, Okay, our fifth segment is this story that has just been so tender to my heart for so long. I just 
love this one. It's in Mark chapter nine, and you might be familiar with this story. Um, and and particularly, remember several years ago, Elder Holland talks about this mm-hmm. story in conference, and it was like, I think his talk is even called "Help Thou Mine Unbelief," yeah. and it's if if you want like a repeat, if you're not conferenced out <laughs> at this point, you know, but man, the way he talks about this story is so sweet. It's his dad. And I think that's maybe why it's such a, so tender to my heart that he just brings his son to him and, uh, and a son that says has a dumb spirit and he explains the problem. And I just actually really appreciate that God leaves room for us to explain a problem that he mm-hmm. already knows all about that. Like he doesn't get into it. And then he says like, yeah, I want, I know everything. I, I saw it, you know, but rather he's just like, he lets him just pour, pour out, out like everything that's wrong. And he says everywhere we take him, you know, he tears and he foams and he gnashes his teeth and he pines his body. And, 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 and I've tried to get help from your disciples and they couldn't help him. And I just love hearing and maybe there's another side lesson to that but just the idea that sometimes like that woman on the roadside she's like I've tried everything I legit have read every blog and I've tried everything and nobody can help me and and then um in 20 he brings him um and he says bring him to me and which is such a sweet line at the end of 19 bring him to me what fabulous advice to all parents Mm. or anyone who loves someone else, you know, for Jesus to say, bring them to me. And he brings him and right away you, you can watch what happens and he get, falls on the ground and he wallows around and, and Jesus asks, how long has it been like this? Which he already knows the answer to, but yes. he's engaging in that. He's yeah. like, ever since he was a kid, sometimes he wants to throw, he throws himself into the fire and sometimes into the water. And we have to always be watching him. Like there's never night and day. There isn't a time when we aren't vigilant about everything that he's doing and we are exhausted. We're just out of energy and hope and everything, you know? And then that question where he just says, if you can do anything, please have compassion on us. And, um, and then he says, and help us. And I love that those are two different. Almost that first one is, what I need is for someone to just understand me first. Like if you could do anything, mm-hmm. I just need you to understand what we're dealing with and what we're handling. And then in addition to that, if you can help us and, in any way. And don't you love that he says us? Yes. That he doesn't just say, if you can do anything, help my son and have compassion on my son. But I love when he's like, help us like all of a sudden you start realizing the weight that that dad has carried yeah. since that boy was born that it has like worn him out i once read this story about this rabbi whose wife had a real problem with both of her feet and he took her into a doctor and he sat down with her and then he said to the doctor he's like what can i do for you and he said my wife's feet are hurting us Oh. And I was like, it's so cute that he like had so much empathy for his wife that he was like, this is our problem. This is our, like, you need, you're, you need to help us yeah. with what we're carrying here. That The dad was like in it, you know? Yeah. He was in it. Yeah. It's so sweet to even think about, like not like to feel bad for his boy and also just 
I mean, to be a caretaker is yeah. exhausting, you know, all of that. And, and then Jesus says, um, cause I love that question. If you can do anything. Yes. And then he just says, well, if you could believe all things are possible. And I love the difference between yeah. if you could do anything. And he says, oh, if you could just believe that's, that's it. Yeah. All, uh, things, all things bigger than anything. Yeah. Like all yeah. the things are right. Possible. He's just like, we'll take the crumbs. Yeah. And Jesus yes. is like, I actually could give you all things. They're possible to him that believeth. And right away, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, it's such a so sweet, sweet story. Yeah. And he says, Lord, I believe. And then that line that gets me every time, help thou mine unbelief. And just as you've seen in this story, him listening to the problem that he already knew and asking him questions that he already knew the answer to, he just let him mm-hmm. express everything that he's thinking and feeling, even about his belief, you know, where he's just like, I believe. And then he just asks, help my unbelief. And I love thinking about somebody who just feels like this opens up the door wide open to me about what we can ask the Lord for help with, Mm. you know, where it's just like, it almost feels like it's like, okay, then once I believe, then I can come. And, and he's just like, just come. I, I, yeah, just come. And he's just like, I have this amount of belief. Will you help me with the with the parts I can't believe? I, I like it's hard for me to believe. Will you help me with that? And yeah, I, and you love that he's like he came for healing. This is my one request, healing. And now he's like, and Jesus is like, yeah, all it's going to take is this. And then you love when the dad is like, well, wait, now I need help with that first so I can then get help with this which is my bigger request and you just love that Jesus is like again I'll take whatever you give me yeah and and I just I you know um I love this question in in the journal to think about when when you consider your burdens you might feel lost in the multitude and I feel like people are just silently struggling with so much and Mm. And I just love that someone understands and that you can be so open and you can be so like, and wherever you're at with it, if it's anger, that's okay. If it's unbelief, that's okay. And you can just say, help me with my desires. Help me with my unbelief. Help me with, I just remember reading this once and just really, and it's funny because I read it right near a time in church when we sang the song, um, more holiness give me. And I realized I was just like, oh, that song's actually a prayer. And I didn't know that you could pray for some of those things. Mm -hmm. I didn't know you could be that vulnerable and that open. And like one of the lines in there in particular, it says, give me more pain at his grief or something like that. Where it's just like, and I thought, oh, how interesting if like, if you think to yourself, like, I don't actually feel sad about, you know, what I should feel sad about or what it's just so powerful to me that you can just help me with where I'm need more belief. Yeah. Where I need more belief, where I'm lacking. Just help me. And I love at the end of this story, it says in verse 27, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And I love that that happened in all the stories we talked about Mm. today. That One of the things Jesus is best at is lifting 
and lifting him up in that moment. Like we've talked about healing and, and people being able to speak and people being able to see and all of these things that, you know, the daughter at home and everybody who needed something. But what Jesus did for all of the people was lift yeah. them. And that's what he does for each of us. He came down and he meets us in our stories where we are as we are, but he doesn't intend to leave us there. He came to lift us. Mm. And I, I love that that's what is happening here. And you know, when you read it, if you were to read just that 27, you're like, you read it and you're like, wait, is it the boy or is it the dad? Yes. You know, that he takes by the hand and and I, some Greek expert's going to say whoever it is, but I just yeah, but love that it leaves it open. Yeah, and it's because like he, he said, did. help us. Yeah. Have compassion on us. And, and why wasn't it both? Yeah. Yeah. So awesome. Just to look at all of these stories and just realize like, wait, whatever my story looks like, like he has this holy purpose. Yeah. It's been he's, he, like, and, and his holy purpose is us. His holy purpose is who, what we're struggling with. And overcoming those and what we're becoming, that is his, that's yeah. his holy purpose. And, so good. and bring it to me, he says. Yeah. That's the invitation. And watch what he does with it. Yeah. So. Okay, have a great week. See you next week. This audio was taken from a YouTube video from our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Don't Miss This. Also, sign up for our newsletter at don'tmissthisstudy.com and you can follow us on Instagram at Emily Bell Freeman and at Mr. Dave Butler. Thanks for listening. Bye.